was a cold and cruel evening sneaking up on Speedy Creek. I found myself asleeping in the snow. For one or two odd reasons I ain't too proud to repeat. For now we'll say I had no place to go. There was a rustle and a humming, just a hauling down the street. I threw myself up from my icy bed. Painted on that shiny car, the letters RCMNP. I can feel a little aching in my head. And then I jumps this old boy about twice the size of me. He asked me for my name and where I dwell. And I just looked him in the eye and sang Blue Yodel Number Nine. He didn't catch the reference, I could tell. Then the old familiar click and the handcuffs bind and grip. He should have left me in the snow where I lay. He just laughed and touched his gun and turned to me. He said, "Son, I bet you don't own a damn thing, do you, mate?" Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us, Adarsh Mashru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. All right, you did that right in the middle of the course. Somewhere and then I'll turn it back up. There you go. Along with 13 silver dollars in my mind. There you go. That's the name of the song. This is a guy named Coulter Wall. He's Canadian. He's about 27 years old. And he's got all the right influences on his vocals. Guy's great. All right. What do you guys want to talk about today? Um. Well, uh, there was this article by Jason Zwieg. Uh, I suppose we could start with that. Uh, when the stock market and Jay Powell are frenemies. Right. Frenemies. So some people are saying that the Fed actually wants the stock market to drop. And I don't get why, but that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. and uh, They're not succeeding real well. He, uh, Jason Zwieg talks about that in this article and his main point is that the the fed is watching the stock market closely and i, I think this ties to uh, uh what's known as the wealth effect uh which is a theory that when the stock market goes up people tend to spend more they tend to you know feel wealthier and um Right. As a result of that, there's this fear that if uh, you know consumption remains the same, if people don't uh, <laughs> yeah. retrench, he wants to make them poor so they won't spend so much. Yeah, it'll bring down inflation. I hear what. Yeah, I think he's right. I mean, right. I think there is some truth to that. And uh, it's similar with the housing market too. You know, when home prices go up, people tend to feel wealthier, and homes tend to be the biggest asset uh, that people own. Uh, so, Jason's week talks about how you know if the stock market runs up too much, then uh, uh, then the Fed may be forced to tighten even more or become even more hawkish. Uh, but then he goes on to say that despite whatever may happen in the near term, long term investors you know could take advantage of the opportunity, whether it be investing in bonds at higher yields or buying stocks. Not just in the U.S., but even overseas, where valuations are still relatively cheap. Are they? Is the supposition there that if interest rates are increased, 
valuations will get hit in stocks because the but we're not seeing that on the on the 10 year i mean he can raise rates all he wants to but he's not affecting really the bond market much right so uh usually stock valuations are based off of uh the 10-year bond, which the Fed really does not control as much, raising near-term interest rates might uh, maybe damper, uh, put a damper on earnings of companies. And as a result, earnings may drop, uh, which may result in valuations going down. But uh, uh, the stock market, you know, when you compare the valuation of the stock market to the bond market, it's typically the 10-year yield that... Uh, uh, investors look at not the Fed funds rate, right? Well, and one of the key things the Fed's looking at is wage growth, right? Um, and you are seeing that start to subside a right. little bit. Um, and I mean, so the market year to date, the S and P five hundred's up around five. Yeah, maybe a little more, right, right around there. Yeah. Give, give or take, just a little bit. And so, this is just in 2023. Yeah, this month alone. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Just year and what to, was year it to down date. year Eight, to date in 22? 18.1. S and P 500. The one. total return, and then yeah. you know the Nasdaq was down more. The Russell was down more. Um, How well did we do? No, <laughs> can't say that. I'm, I'm sorry. Nobody's listening. Nobody said anything. No, nobody. Keep in mind. Well, now I'll throw a bunch of disclosures out there. We do. We do not. The cell based on uh, performance. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Uh, yeah. Past performance is not predicted. Yeah, that's per- it. That's yeah, it. yeah. Um, so <clears throat> the, I, I've been getting this question a lot uh, this year. You know, what what's the market going to do this year? I mean, everybody's been so focused on the markets uh, the past year. Um and where you have had, you know, the fourth quarter of last year was a good quarter, generally speaking. Year to date's been a good, a good uh, performance year to date. But the the answer, it's, I mean, a, we don't know what the market's going to do. Um, but what we've been talking about is what we've been investing in, um, and we're setting up. Are, we're positioning the portfolio where if we have a volatile market, if the Fed does something that the market's not expecting, you know, if they come out as being more hawkish, you'll have the market do have a knee-jerk reaction to that. Fine. I mean, that, that'll... I think the be, Fed can't shoot any... They could come in and say they're going to raise rates 100 basis points. I don't think... It, I think everybody would know at this point they've done all they can pretty much do. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is is the earnings season that we're going... That we're in right now. And we're, we're seeing the earnings come out. And, I mean, they've been pretty good. Yeah. Um, and... Considering. Yeah, considering. And, I mean, some of them have just been absolutely good. Uh, you know, especially, you know, you look at uh, what Chevron did. I mean, they had they had some issues on the earnings, but you look at their outlook with, uh, you know, the share buyback, you know, increasing the dividend. Um, I mean, that that's a strong company in right. a good sector. Um, and so we've been seeing Who would that. have ever thought two years ago we'd be saying oil was a good sector? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, we're, well, well, really, it, it's it, now about almost two, almost three years yeah, ago. Yeah, two and a half years ago. Yeah, uh, we were about a month and a half away two years ago of oil going negative. 
No, no, was it three it, years? It, it's it's been three, three years. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> three yeah. years. A month and a half in from March. Three years in March. But I mean, it was. Went what was negative. gasoline selling for then? I I don't think it was probably under two bucks. I don't while. even remember. There was I so much either. other yeah. stuff going on at the time. It's like I need gas. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, when the world's falling apart around you, you don't think about it was filling up gas. Um, but you know, in this environment, you know, where where you have been seeing weakness, um, it, like Intel's earnings when they came out, um, you know, the, the chips companies, semiconductors. They're having problems just because you had so much demand pulled forward the last few years. You've had big tech companies laying off uh, thousands of employees. So there's been areas of weakness, but it's also it's just riding the ship. You know, in periods of good times, companies get fat and happy. That's right. And you need kind of the lean times where they, they, they trim the fat, they write the ship. They correct, you know, areas of excess, uh, of just of of. Uh, I don't remember the word I'm looking for. Um, I don't either. You don't know either. <laughs> I bet one of our listeners does. Um, anyway, um, they get lean. Uh, we saw Boy, that Intel. That is an ugly chart. Ugly, ugly. I mean, that that's a good company. Yeah, it has been a good company. It's 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 a good company uh, in an area that had gotten way out of whack for what its valuation should have been a reasonable valuation. I mean, the stock was at sixty four dollars and fifty five cents less than three years ago, April of two thousand twenty one, sixty four dollars and a half. Today it trades at twenty eight dollars and sixteen cents. Yeah. And yeah. We might want to look at it. <laughs> I mean, it, do you think it's that bad or? So they just spun out uh, Mobileye, which they had bought a few years ago. Yeah, that that didn't work too well. That was going to be for uh, autonomous cars. Yes. Uh, and sales of PCs are slowing down. So really, if you go back to the last decade. The major problem that Intel has was that uh, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, uh, AMD, all these companies basically, in, Intel move, uh, missed out on the mobile phone boom and there are graphics cards which uh, NVIDIA makes. Uh, you know, they missed out on that. So they are just focused on PCs and servers and, uh, you know, now they're trying to figure out and they, they paid a big dividend uh, and now there's call for calls for them to cut their dividends. So they've definitely had some problems and they're trying to. They sort of a similar situation to GE a little bit. Yes, or, yes. Just, or even uh, um, even a, a Kraft Heinz kind of right. thing. Yeah, so yeah, kind of like that. They, they acquired Mobileye a few years ago and now they spun it out. So I, I think, yes, it's an it issue. long of, ago. Yeah, it wasn't. It's only that, been four or five years, right, if that. Right. I'll give you this to chew on. In June of twenty uh, of two thousand. <laughs> June of two thousand. You'll choke on it here in just a second. June of two thousand. Uh, Intel was at seventy four dollars and eighty eight cents. Uh, today it's at twenty eight sixteen. 
And that's no splits or anything. No, I mean, that, that's all split adjusted. I mean, that's you know apples to apples here. And so you've got a company like Intel. Everybody knows the name. You know, respected company, good company by all accounts. You know, with little issues here and there, but you're still down more than fifty percent after you've been holding this thing for twenty three years. Um, and, and so. What happens is finally they sell it out of everybody's. I don't even know who ends up buying it, you know, uh, because it gets sold out of a lot of institutional accounts. Yeah, right. uh, they they have paid dividends. I wonder if that includes uh, dividends. Um, but even then, yeah, you probably didn't. You're still down. You're still yeah. down. Now there are other uh, semiconductor stocks. I think Qualcomm surpassed its two thousand high. So these are companies that have been growing and doing the right thing. Uh, and there are others, but Intel, Cisco, I think, is below where it was. Cisco was the biggest stock in the yeah. year two thousand. Yeah, um, but that I mean that goes back to what we've said before. Time in and of itself doesn't necessarily fix a bad investment. Nope. Nope. And I mean the timing of this. I mean you could have bought Intel in two thousand eight for fifteen dollars a share. You've made money there. Well, and you could have sold it. Two years ago for 64. Exactly. Made a huge pop. Exactly. And so you can't just blindly buy something at any valuation and hold it indefinitely. The price you pay does matter, and when you exit does matter. And that's where the discipline comes in. I'll tell you this. So we've talked about Blackstone, and this is not – we're not really traders. So – but we are – we have to look at the psychology of markets yeah. because that's something we deal in all the time. You look at what was happening with Blackstone just eight or nine weeks ago, maybe less than that even. The stock got down to $73. It had come all the way down from 100 and change, 103, 104. Large holding for us. And... um it has come roaring back. I mean, it's up again today. I mean, it, it's at uh, closed today at almost ninety six. Yeah, uh, and started and the year at seventy four. It got down to seventy three and change. So it started the year. So we're talking two and a half week, three and a half weeks. Yes, twenty nine percent. It's come up that much in three and a half weeks. So it, it hadn't been any eight weeks. Right. It's been around four. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's year to date. Uh, but that's it, a that's a seventy four. That's that's a what a thirty something twenty nine, twenty nine percent or so move. Yeah, and I, I think that there are quite a few other stocks that have made that move since the beginning of this year. I think what happened was last year, I think people maybe waited till the very end to do their tax loss selling. Yeah, and I think most people who sold in December are probably regretting it because many stocks have. Uh, made big moves yeah i mean they probably should have sold in november right. bought it back in december um, could have probably bought it back cheaper yeah so uh that and the fact that i think even the news surrounding blackstone has seems to have improved here recently with the california uh university buying uh you know into their fund be yeah. yeah so um yeah and that's the tricky part you know uh blackstone i wasn't a stock that was shorted heavily, but there were a lot of stocks that were shorted in the tech space. And since the beginning of this year, they've made some, you know, pretty big moves. Uh, so, um, 
yeah, I mean, investing is is definitely you know tricky and timing. I would well, I wouldn't say investing, but timing the market, timing your buys and sells can be very tricky. Okay, I want to look at this article here. This is pretty interesting. So Barry Sternlicht, he's the guy uh, behind uh, Starwood, uh, which owns the Marriott and uh, other things. Uh, spoke on CNBC recently. Says billionaire Barry Sternlicht, the chief. Executive Officer and Chairman of uh, Property Investor Starwood Capital expects the U.S. economy to slide into a recession in the third or fourth quarter. Yeah, he and everybody else. This thing keeps getting pushed back. Um, You know, it hadn't shown up on time. Due to the Federal Reserve's inflation-fighting interest rate hikes, even as the inflation rate, he said, could enter negative territory by mid-year. Now, that's what I was saying that they were saying uh, that it wasn't it, it if you look at the drivers of it they're all slowing down and he says even then the fed could still be raising rates well consensus now is they're going to do two more quarter hikes and that's it right yeah I mean, that's the consensus yeah that they, they'll they'll be done at that do you think oh, so the next one is in february is that correct uh, the next one is actually this month. Uh, it's in it's next week, I believe. Okay. So th- that might be February, yeah. Next week, next Wednesday. Yeah. 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 Well, do you think they'll go? I, Another twenty five. I think so. Yes. Uh, I think they will. And there, then- there, it, there's absolutely they what what it is is they are so <laughs> top heavy now with all these quote decision makers. Um, that they cannot not they're like a battleship trying to turn and and they they're so big and bloated and uh they can't look at the data and say well you know we need to stop now because there's too much at stake in their narrative right that that's true yes so you know they they were late when it came to raising rates they stayed too accommodative for too long uh, but I, I think even they, they are probably surprised by how resilient the job market's been despite, you know, interest rates going up. And of course we've seen a big drop in the stock market. We've seen a drop in, uh, the real estate market. Home prices have dropped somewhat around the country, but nothing's broken. And I think that's probably the reason why they are just, they're going in there, maybe seeing how far they can push it because they have the, the tools to reverse it. Uh, because they are no longer at zero. So if, you know, it seems like things are really going, turning bad, then they can start reversing. But I think they'll keep going, uh, until for two more or even more after that, uh, at least two more. And then I think they'll pause because I I think even they have said that there is a lag effect. So there's no reason to, you know, just keep hiking. So they might just pause, especially given that inflation data is, uh, is what they want it to be where inflation is dropping. In, in fact, inflation has basically been flat. So inflation doesn't even have to drop. It can just stay flat and we'll have 0% interest rate, uh, inflation. Yeah. Yes. If you add, because every time you get another flat month, another high month drops off right. on the, on the front end. Right. So you're, but the papers keep reporting it as inflation at 7.1% for November or, or 
and the January number, do you think it'll come in hot or pretty mild? I think it'll be mild. Yeah. Because that's what all the indications are, you know, showing when you look at, I think the Fed could perhaps devise a better tool because we have real-time data for a lot of these things. So I don't know why they keep looking at, you know, data that's a month old. I think if you go out to buy a car today or you buy, you know, rent an apartment, I think we have all the real-time data that, that's needed. to Where we can almost a, measure yeah. inflation on a daily basis. Right. Mark, mark to market on inflation, now, basically. Yeah. If they're looking at the price of eggs, then I'm sure they will be alarmed because <laughs> <laughs> there's massive inflation there. What is going on with the egg situation? I think it's because of the avian flu that happened. How much are eggs just in a... In a um, in some a some places they've doubled in cost. Yeah, they went up by 60% on average from just a few months ago. And I think the avian flu was a big cause of that. But that, that should normalize also. So is there a real-time thing for chickens, too, where we can <laughs> guess the price of eggs? Who knows? You've been listening to the Tom Dupree. It's our financial hour with the Darsh Meshru. Mike Johnson and our host, Tom Dupree. If you'd like to hear more of the Tom Dupree Show, go to our website, dupreefinancial.com. There's a radio tab. And we will be back in just a few minutes. So Kroger Large White Eggs, oh $3.29. I mean, that's a dozen eggs. Is that a bad deal? Yeah, it's, they were a lot cheaper. We're going to go to a break. Stay tuned for more okay of the show. I mean, I mean, if you go to Waffle House, they're like <laughs> five bucks for scrambled eggs. <laughs> What do you think it is? It's made by a company called Rickenbacker. Oh, yeah. The 12th string. So this was a conversation that started before the music about what the guitar was. Yeah, Rickenbacker. So So welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us, the Darsh Meshru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Carry so on. The, the thing, you know, uh, this is a little more of David Crosby, who, who passed away last week, not this past week. But, um, this was when he was with the Birds, early music of theirs, and um, what's the guy's name? Gene Parsons. I think it's Gene Parsons was playing a Rickenbacker 12 stream. Have you ever played a Rickenbacker? Never have. I've actually never seen one in person. They're 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 rare. They're kind of a it's it they're kind of a funky guitar, just kind of different. Look, I've never seen one in person. 
We might have to get you one. <laughs> or at least let him see one in person. Yeah. I mean, they're hard as all get out to fret, aren't they? I, I Honestly, I don't know. I, I would guess not. I'm looking at the prices on some of these, so I'm guessing no. They're probably actually pretty easy to play. Because they're so expensive. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, they, it looks like they're starting at around two thousand. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's not a starter guitar. So that that comes with a neck, right? I oh mean, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it probably <laughs> in most cases that comes so, with the neck. In most <laughs> cases. Oh gosh, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Guys, give me these things. All right, let's talk about Chevron for a minute because everybody loves to hate the oil companies. Now, listen to this. Chevron made $35 billion last year. I'm saying, yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, oil company's milestone is about one-third th- higher than its private pe- previous peak. Chevron banked historic profit last year as the pandemic receded and the war in Ukraine pushed oil prices to multi-year highs. Now, certainly back in 08, and I'll ask Adarsh, you might know this, oil prices were a lot higher, yet the oil companies didn't make that kind of money. I mean, what has changed from just two years ago in the oil business and certainly from back in 08 when prices were significantly higher that they're making this kind of money. What's going on in the oil business and the energy industry that allows for these kind of profits that, you know, the left in this country, folks that are anti-industry, they seize on this and say, you know, this is just obscene. But there's things that's gone on in the business itself that have made themselves, made them more profitable. What is that, do you think? Yes, I I think the main reason is that they've become more efficient. So we saw a blow-off top in oil prices in 2008, and this preceded the financial crisis. Uh, So oil prices didn't stay high. You know, they they were sort of high, but then they really took off. But they had been high leading up for that for some time. Yes. They've been in the $100 range. I know in 2000, uh, you know, they were were high in 06 and 07 also. They were, yes. I don't know. Were they in the $100 range or were they in the... I'm not sure. uh, But I think, you know, since then, the oil and gas industry has had 12 really, you know, lean years um, that, uh, and the inflection perhaps was, you know, COVID bottom that we saw uh, in March of 2020, where oil prices went negative briefly. Right. Uh, so 12 years of declining prices uh, in 2014, again, oil prices briefly went over 100 and then they declined again. Um, so it's been a tough, uh, you know, decade uh, for the oil and gas industry, and a lot of companies were forced to become leaner uh, and uh, be more efficient. That, combined with improvement in technology, uh, has also helped them be more efficient. Um, and uh, the fact that uh, you know the 
Well, more recently, there are, there are two factors. One, uh, you know, refining margins have been higher uh, than historical averages, although they seem to be normalizing. And secondly, we've seen oil prices stay in the, you know, $70, $80 range for some time now. It went all the way to close to $130 briefly. Um, so I would say the primary reason is just more efficiency. A lot of companies have gone bankrupt during this period. The ones that survived have done well. Uh, and low interest rates... Uh, that we saw in the last decade also helped the strong oil and gas companies to refinance a lot of their debt at much, much lower prices. So that also has helped them. Uh, I'd add one other thing to it. <clears throat> Talking about lean years, you had the the push where banks weren't loaning and you, you had the, 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 the ESG push. And so the, the stocks were out of favor. And, uh, and that just... Uh, it compounded the already lean years that they were having with oil prices. Um, and you know, it, it just, it's like with anything, you know, if, if your household income gets hit for a certain period of time, you get lean, you get used to, to living on that lean right. means. And it's the same thing. With, and you with don't these feel, companies. you feel poor at first. And then when you adjust to it, you don't feel as poor because you've learned it's like I'm not going to buy this, I'm not going to buy that. You figure out where to cut costs. You start eating at a different place. You might drive a different car, but that's fine. Yeah, and then you figure it out and you get kind of where you're comfortable. Well, I, I saw I saw an interesting interview. I think it was uh, it's either Barry Sternlich or Steve Schwartzman. Uh, it was a video interview I saw, but they were talking about. Uh, uh, repricing on stocks and the stock market and it takes a person about a year and a half to get used to seeing the value the current value is what it is you know you're talking about the lean years you get used to living on a certain amount you get used to seeing the market value today it's not that recency bias where you're looking well what was it at the start of 2022 you're used to seeing at a, a decline value and that's when those people will start to make changes uh, and you could have, you know, a bottom form from that because it just takes, you know, you said on average about a year and a half. Right. right. Uh, you know, but in 2020 and even early 2021, the oil and gas sector uh, was one of the smallest sectors in the S&P at under S&P 500 at under 2%. Um, so there was so much capital that just left that sector and a lot of that capital uh, went to tech and, you know, uh, companies that really weren't, you know, profitable a lot in, in a lot of cases. And now you're starting to see some of that money uh, come back. What is the percentage now? I think now it's over 4%, four and a half, I think. Well, what was it historically? Uh, it's been above 10 in the past. Right. I it's think... Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think twelve percent. I'll have to double check, but twelve percent is what I'd read uh, going back a decade. And so the S and P five hundred oil is a five percent weighting of the index, but but it's throwing off twelve percent of all the free cash flow of the S and P five hundred. Is that right? Yeah. So five percent weighting throwing off twelve percent of the free cash flow. So it's just you know f incredibly profitable part of the business, right? Or and still cheap. Maybe. And Maybe. Yeah, oil and gas uh, was the best performing sector in 2022 and 2021, so two years in a row. And so far this year, 
it's pulled back some, but it's still holding up. Right. It's amazing. I mean, that it, because people, listen, so Biden came out and he was angry about the fact that they're going to spend their money on buying back stock, but that's, you know, what's best for their shareholders, they think, uh, which tells you they think the stock is cheap. And uh, this is what happens when you live in a in a country where the you know the stated purpose of the uh, administration is basically to dismantle capitalism. I mean, let's face it; that's what liberals and um, progressives end up doing. They don't like capitalism, and they certainly don't like energy companies because of their uh quote carbon footprint well i mean you get down to what what is a company a company is an allocator of capital exactly and how do they allocate that capital it could be producing whatever widget or service they do or drilling or chips whatever it is but it's also allocating capital to buy back shares or pay dividends or whatever they think is the most efficient use of that capital. That's right. Because if they didn't think it was the most efficient use, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And so ultimately that's what it comes down to. They have to be profitable. They have to make a profit in order to produce something that's of use and productive. So you've got another article in here from the wall street journal. This is by Greg Ip. He's one of a few people at the wall street journal that seems to actually have a real job. Uh, where he works there, or isn't phoning in goofy. I mean, they put out some stuff these days that I, I don't, I don't know how it gets in there. But anyway, inflation is turning the corner. Much of inflation's rise appears to have been transitory after all. Okay, that's something. I know I was saying this. You know, if, if you don't tell people that you were saying it, they'll forget. <laughs> December's consumer price data adds to a picture of inflation across a broad range of definitions is coming down. In fact, just as the U.S. got used to thinking high inflation could be here to stay, signs are emerging that most of the surge through 2021 and 22 first half was actually transitory. So when will we start getting rid of the high prints from a year ago, maybe April, May, right. we'll start seeing those fall off. I predict, like Barry Stern, like we're going back to zero inflation. I think we are. Yeah, especially, uh, I, I think there's a good chance of that happening. Uh, that wouldn't be unusual, where prices actually drop as supply chains normalize and as you know, demand uh, reduces. Efficiencies pick up. Yes. Uh now, certain areas, you know, there there are, I, I think, long-term challenges. I think there is a shortage of homes. Uh, so, you know, home prices, yeah, they may drop in the near term, but there is a structural issue there. There's also a shortage of labor in many, many areas, and that's not going to be easy to uh, solve. So inflation may drop. It may even go to, you know, go negative, but certain areas i think you know we might see higher inflation for a few years to come but you think of the consequences of that you know inflation going let's say just as to zero instead of negative i bonds 
tips, treasury inflation protected bonds, uh, all these things that people were buying six months ago because of inflation, they're going to reset to basically a zero yield. Right. And so, it, again, people always do the wrong thing at the wrong time. I so, mean, uh, uh, that's, listen, and I'm not saying y'all are stupid, but uh, I am saying that people, you don't, I'm not saying you're stupid, but don't act stupid. If, if, if you know long-term rates are coming down, then you want to buy duration. You want to buy something that will give you your yield for a longer period of time, not a short period period of time. And when rates are inverted and the short end giving you a yield of four or five percent, be careful. Lock in four or five percent for tw- ten or twelve years. That's fine if you can do it, and you can't. You can on some things, but not on everything. But uh, don't do. Don't think you're really killing it by getting a four percent CD for. 16 months because you're not yeah well at the end of 16 months you might be back getting a two percent cd right it's all it's it's short-term thinking and it's it's looking at the headlines what's making headlines now that's all it is it's no different than somebody buying uh you know crypto or an nft or something a couple years ago it's no different than that you know the headlines herd people into a certain direction hey, i bought some uh, nfts what you i'm stupid yeah well just, my dogecoin i still have it <laughs> no, I'm um so i mean the headlines it it, it herds people into a certain and they area. let themselves be herded and that's where they make the mistake and you're so you're always behind the curve whenever you're reacting to the headlines because the market's already been there, done that, moved on from that by the time you're reacting to the headlines that are coming out. I hope some of these property and casualty companies that we own took that cash that they were earning zero on and went out the curve a little bit on it and didn't just sit there and keep taking the money market rate of interest, you know, they can go out. People can go out now and get a little higher yield. And I think there's a very good chance that in a year that's going to be gone away. Yeah. You know, and you're going to look back and say, why didn't I buy that? Yeah. And I think, I mean, good insurance companies, I mean, they're, they're so disciplined on what they purchase in, as in the float portfolio, in the investment portfolio. Um, Cause it's, it's perpetual. You know, as long as their underwriting's good and they don't have issues there, it's a perpetual kind of thing. And so they can be right. They're always going to have. They're always going to have new coming float, in, yeah. new float coming in. Um, so I mean, it's dollar cost averaging. In a, this is this is kind of the ideal perfection of dollar cost averaging because it's a perpetual vehicle right uh, that's what makes the business so beautiful well, we've talked about an in insurance you you have a new year it's like a winemaker you have a new vintage you you know the the new policies get written the premiums come in it gets invested they underwrite it the insurance gets written you know and then you start you sit back and you hold your breath and see what's your claims experience going to be like the insurance business is not that hard over time to figure out, and it can be a very profitable place to invest. Right, right. And if it's a good line of business that they're in and they have 
history and the numbers and you know the actuarials tables all that that they're looking at you know it's it's the the law of large numbers it's in their favor on certain things and if they can use that law of large numbers and invest it earn a higher rate of return and not pay out claims if you think about it every business operates on the law of large numbers Every business. Yeah. I don't care if it's a grocery store. Yeah. Our business. Gasoline stations. You know, the law of large numbers says that a certain amount of people are going to stop and come in here and, and you know, buy a um, uh, a smoothie or uh, uh, or uh, some skull or. It's the averages. Some views. <laughs> Go buy some views, you know, or, and, and gasoline or what have you. Yes, it's the average. Every business operates on the law of large numbers. Yeah. I just came up with that. It's a little scary, you know, what a view is. <laughs> View. Views. Views. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I know what it is. Tobacco. I know, I know what it <laughs> it's, is. It's, but it's, it was. It ain't even I, tobacco. It made my head whip around when you it's said nic- that. It's nicotine. <laughs> Non-combustible. So, I don't know. The thing is, you got to stay in the game. That's true of investing. If you'd like to have us look at your portfolio, um, we already know that you're thinking about it because we use AI. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> Um, um, oh my God! Yeah, that's it's not that's not funny. No, we really don't use it. We're, it was a joke. the The point and is, and your jokes aren't funny. to me. They are actually two three three zero four hundred eight five nine area code. Call us. I mean, you know, we are pretty thoughtful about what we invest in. I mean, we think about it all the time, actually, and we do really take our allocations and the things that we invest in personally because we this is what we spend a lot of time doing is looking at companies or learning where our clients money is and quite frankly we have a good time with it we it's it's enjoyable we like doing it this is what we all kind of feel comfortable doing it's not like some guys telling us sending us a thing saying this is what you need to invest in we're we're doing our own research, so it's a lot of fun. And uh, and now we have a Bloomberg, <laughs> which means we're really dangerous. It's a deeper dive. It's an even deeper dive into it all. And there are the birds again. You've been listening to our financial hour with the Darsh Mashru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree. As Tom mentioned, give us a call, 859-233-0400. Never hurts to have another set of eyes on your portfolio. We'd love to take a look at yours. And as always, it's a complimentary review. 859. That's different than free, right? Nothing's free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So complimentary is a much better. As I was saying, call us 859-233-0400. You won't want to miss the next hour. We've got Jim Salestrom. He's got a great story, and he's going to provide some live music. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few minutes.